Hello, greetings and welcome to another episode of Being Healthy the Shaolin Way. Now today we're going to explore the linkage between music and the transcendental state or mystic state. Um, we have to say, for example, before a melody or rhythm begins, there's silence. Then the first sound appears. From where does it come? Where was it before it manifested its sound? We may notice how the first sound and the second and the third and so on are each given freely into the moment. They appear out of silence, out of not being. We may also notice how the note that we played out in a few minutes doesn't exist and suddenly it is here. What gives it its existence? We can only say it is birthed from the infinite potential of the void. And then what happens? It vanishes. Where does it go? It returns back to the emptiness of silence into not being. Yet it may linger a moment or two in memory as this fleeting presence touches the fleeting presence of the sounds that follow. But silence precedes it and silence finishes it. If we listen closely to the coming into and passing out of being of each sound, we can recognize that here is the very creation and renewal of the cosmos. When we listen to or create music that is fresh and living, we are struck by how what is played or sung is both unexpected and inevitable. Each curl of melody, each unresolved chord or playful syncopation replicates the longing of the hidden treasure to be known. The melody rises, gathers, soars, and calls for its resolution. Could it be possible that music in its most authentic function replicates the primal cosmic drama of creation by its own creation of the beautiful thing, the beautiful sound, the exhalation, and then the reabsorption of that thing sound into nothingness, the intellation, touching our heart as it does so with this gift of the play between existence and non-existence. Or is it even more than that? As our heart is touched the heart is touched by the beautiful thing, does it not make possible the cosmically longed-for event of the hidden treasure becoming known? And what is this knowing anyway? Can the hidden treasure be known as a thing is known? Or do we not open to the essence of the hidden treasure by letting go of knowing altogether, just as we let go of each note in music so that its essence will be revealed? And as the second century Buddhist master commented, Nirvana, is the letting go of what arises and passes. In some way, this is what happens when music awakens us. The experience of music. Highly difficult, highly significant rather, finding was that um, from the studies of the effects of the brain, listening to music is the emphasis on the importance of the right non-dominant hemisphere. Thus, lesions following cerebral damage lead to impairments of appreciation of pitch, timber, and rhythm. And studies using brain imaging have shown that the right hemisphere is preferentially activated when listening to music in relation to the emotional experience. And that even imagining music activates areas on this side of the brain. This should not be taken to imply that there is a simple left-right dichotomy of functions in the human brain. However, it is a case that traditional neurology has to a large extent ignored the talents of the non-dominant hemisphere, 
much in favor of the dominant, normally left, hemisphere. In part, this stems from an overemphasis on the role of the latter in propositional language and a lack of interest in the emotional intonations of speech that gives so much meaning to expression. The link between music and emotion seems to have been accepted for all time. Plato considered that music played in different no modes would arouse different emotions. And as a generality, most of us would agree on the emotional significance of any particular piece of music, whether it be happy or sad. For example, major chords are perceived to be cheerful, minor ones sad. The tempo or movement in time is another component of this slower music, seemingly less joyful than faster rhythms. This reminds us that even the word emotion is a significant part of emotion, and that in the dance we are moving, as we are moved emotionally by the music. Until recently, musical theorists had largely concerned themselves with the grammar and syntax of music, rather than with the affective experiences that arise in response to music. Music, if it does anything, arouses feelings and associated physiological responses, and these can now be measured. For the ordinary listener, listener, however, there may be no necessary relationship of the emotion to the form and content of the musical work, since the real stimulus is not the progressive unfolding of the musical structure, but the subjective content of the listener's mind. Let me repeat. For the ordinary listener, however, there may be no necessary relationship of the emotion to the form and content of the musical work, since the real stimulus, I repeat, the real stimulus is not the progressive unfolding of the musical structure, but the subjective content of the listener's mind. Such a phenomenological approach directly contradicts the empirical techniques of so much current neuroscience in this area. Yet it is of direct concern. If it is a language, music is a language of feeling. Musical rhythms are like life rhythms. And music with tensions, resolutions, crescendos, diminutos, major and minor keys, delays, and silent interludes with a temporal unfolding of events does not present us with a logical language. But to quote Langer again, it reveals the nature of feelings with a detail and truth that language cannot approach. This idea seems difficult for a philosophical mind to follow, namely, that there can be knowledge without words. In other words, this could be a language of intuition. This could be a language of transcendence. This could be a language of feeling of unity. Transcending and perhaps unity with God. Indeed, the problem of describing a language of feeling permeates the whole of philosophy and neuroscience approach and highlights the relative futility of trying to classify our emotions. Music is revealing where words are obscuring. Now, in our next episode, will explore the relationship that music can have to transcendence. We already highlighted the uh, chanting, drumming, and musical uh, as a way to interrupt certain brain functions and adjust, thus achieve 
a transcendent experience. But we'll explore a little further music and transcendence. And then we'll get back to our old friend, Solocyclin, and the psychedelic. Because um, this whole thing of transcendence becomes explained in the state of mind. Now, tune in for the next episode of Being Healthy, the Shaolin Way. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the monks of the Shaolin Temple, go to shaolintempleus.org or our new website, healthytaichi.com. And um, if you'd like to donate to this program, donate via PayPal to rick, R-I-C-K, at feraldmore.com. That's F-E-R-R-E-L-D-M-O-O-R-E.com. Until our next episode, namaste.